Daniel chapter 9. It's a little, little lengthy, but not very lengthy. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's prayer for his people. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years, 70 years, excuse me. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to your king, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his word, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity, for under the whole heaven... There has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord, our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, let your anger And your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. 
Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for, all, for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. As we know from Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was among those from Judah who had been taken captive into Babylon during the reign of King Jehoiakim. Question is, what was it that gave rise to Daniel's prayer at this time here in Daniel chapter 9? As indicated in verse 2, Daniel learns from the book of Jeremiah that the 70 years of captivity of which Jeremiah had prophesied in Jeremiah 25 and verse 12 would soon be completed. According to verse 3 then, this prompted him to seek the Lord in prayer regarding the restoration of his fellow Jews. And conversant as he was with the word of God, there's no doubt that the inspiration for his giving himself to prayer at this time was Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 10 through 14, which reads, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, verse 12, you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you. Daniel was a man who was saturated with the word of God. And clearly, his knowledge of the word of God, particularly as it relates to God's plan for those in exile, was what stimulated him to pray at this time. And here we see the vital connection there is between prayer and the word of God. The fact that scripture, the word of God, is that which inspires and informs the activity of prayer. So that you and I, beloved, cannot, we cannot properly and effectively pray without reference to the word of God. It was all because Daniel went to the scriptures and there learned of God's timetable for the end of his people's captivity in Babylon that he was driven to prayer and supplication for his people. And the point we're making here is that scripture is crucial to a healthy prayer life. 
It is scripture that reveals the mind and will of God. Apart from scripture, then, there's really no basis for communion with God. As we have often said, I've said time and again, you and I do not have the raw material with which to communicate with God outside the word of God. It is the word of God that inspires and informs prayer to the Lord. That is why it is so crucial for us to know, for us to read, for us to study the word of God. And the time we have, we want to examine this prayer of Daniel and see some principles we can apply, we can learn and apply to our prayer lives. And the first thing we observe from this prayer of Daniel is this, that Daniel's prayer was focused. Daniel's prayer was focused. Look at the A part of verse 3. Daniel says there, Then I turned my face to the Lord God. Here's what we could say that prayer is not. Prayer is not some kind of flowery, sophisticated speech. Prayer is not simply a matter of stringing together some nice-sounding, impressive, pious words. Prayer is first and foremost engagement with God. It is turning not to those who are within earshot of our prayers so as to sound impressive to those around us, but turning to the living God so as to converse with him. You'll recall what our Lord Jesus said concerning prayer. He says that when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they think they might be heard for their much speaking, among other things. The Pharisees, they love to pray on the street corners where they could be heard and seen by passers-by. What did our Lord Jesus say? But when you pray, enter your closet. He says, shut the door and pray. Here's what it says. Pray to your Father who is in heaven. Prayer focuses on God. Daniel says, I turned my face to the Lord God. And here, turning the face carries the idea of expectation from God. It suggests anticipation from God. That is to say, we are expecting from God some favor, some mercy. His setting his face toward the Lord says that as far as Daniel was concerned, if there was to be any expectation of help, it would come from none other but the living God. In fact, we hear the psalmist saying something to this effect. He says, from you is my expectation to you do I pray all the day long. And today, beloved, you and I need constantly to set our minds and our hearts to God and to God alone in prayer. Daniel's prayer, number one, was focused. But secondly, Daniel's prayer was fervent. He says in verse 3 that he was seeking the Lord. Here it comes. He was seeking the Lord by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And the construction of the Hebrew verb seeking connotes ardent, restless search. Ardent, restless search. According to one lexicon, the verb Quote, has in view the finding of an object which really exists or which is thought to exist, which is not close at hand, but is desired most earnestly and initiates the seeking. 
So when Daniel speaks here of seeking the Lord, the idea is this, is this that he is determined to leave no stone unturned in his quest to draw near to God. Again, no doubt he has in mind Jeremiah chapter 29, 12 and 13, where God promised, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is how God wants for us to approach him. He wants for us, first of all, to be focused on him, and he wants for us to be fervently engaged with him. And we see further suggestions of Daniel's intensity, his fervency in prayer as he goes before the Lord. Because there in verse 3, we see the activities related to his seeking the Lord. Notice how that his prayer relating to the matter of his approaching God. You notice there the various verbs that suggest intensity of action. There is progressive intensity. Daniel not only sought the Lord in prayer, He sought the Lord by pleas, by pleas for mercy. He was, as it were, begging God, crying out to him. The word is related to entreaty, to supplication, to a spirit of desperation in seeking the Lord. Daniel cried to the Lord for mercy. And it, it, it could be said of us, and I think I put, well, not I, I think, I know I put myself in that, how often are we driven to pray with such intensity, with such fervency? I would have to admit, many a times, there is not that spirit of entreaty, of earnestness, in our praying. Such intensity, such pleading is quite often missing from our prayers today. And as far as Daniel was concerned, when it came to prayer, fervency of spirit was really what mattered. He was earnest. Someone as well said that what counts with God is not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many, it's not the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent. It's not the geometry of our prayers, how long. It's not the emotion of our prayers, how sweet. It is not the logic of our prayers, how argumentative, but rather the faith and fervency of our prayers. And you'll notice furthermore, related to his fervency, not only the progressive intensity of his praying, his seeking, his pleading, but notice the actions he undertook. He did so, he tells us, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. By these acts of denial, first of all with fasting, Daniel was suggesting that nothing was more important to him at that point than seeking the Lord and finding favor from him. And we need to say here, beloved, that as spiritual activity, fasting is not some mechanical exercise we undertake to impress God. Fasting should be done meaningfully, it should be done with sincerity. The idea of fasting is that we are so engaged with the matter at hand, nothing is as important, no, not food, not drink, but meeting with the living God. He fasted, he prayed, and he he, he put on sackcloth and ashes. 
expressions of mourning, expressions of grief. So here we see Daniel gave everything he had to the business of reaching out after God in prayer. His whole spirit, his soul, his body was engaged with God in prayer. Employed every aspect of prayer. Employed petition, entreaty, supplication. And our friends, such wholeheartedness is an indispensable feature of what it means to pray effectively. We need to examine our own prayer lives. How engaged are we? And the truth be told, if we're not careful many times, we find ourselves more saying prayers than we are actually praying. Earnestness, fervency. Thirdly, we notice, and this is very important, not only was Daniel's prayer focused, not only was it fervent, but Daniel's prayer was fueled by knowledge of God. His prayer was fueled by knowledge of God. And here's the truth. We never pray properly. We never pray effectively unless our prayers are informed by knowledge and understanding of who God is in terms of his character, in terms of his power. That was why in the model prayer, our Lord Jesus taught his disciples, he says, and when you pray, say, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What was our Lord Jesus doing there? Jesus was suggesting that in order to pray effectively, in order to pray properly, it's important we have an understanding of who God is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, set apart, holy, be your name. We're not just talking to another person. We're talking to the living almighty God of heaven. And so note Daniel's understanding of God as indicated by the terms with which he addressed God. Here's how his prayer was informed by, was fueled by knowledge of who God is. First of all, notice what he says in verse 3. I turn my face to the Lord God. Adonai, the word he uses here for Lord, speaks of God as the sovereign, exalted Lord. Elohim speaks of God in terms of his majesty, in terms of his might. That is why in verse 4b, he is described as, notice there, the great and awesome God. Daniel is saying, Lord, I can come to you because of who you are. You're a God of majesty. You're a God of power. You are the awesome living God of heaven. Here's what that does for us when we pray a knowledge of God, when our prayers are fueled by knowledge of God, it fosters faith. In God. You see, our attitude to prayer as well as our attitude in prayer will to a large extent be determined by how we see God, how we understand God. Now in verse 4 and verses 4 and following, we see the contents of Daniel's prayer. If we want to know How should we approach God? The question is, what would we say to God, especially if we were in a situation like Daniel, a situation of crisis? What are some of the contents that would form our prayer to God? Notice, first of all, Daniel, as he prayed to God, he affirmed that God 
is faithful. He affirmed that God is faithful. Look at the C part of verse 4. He says, He is a God who keeps covenant. In other words, He's the God who keeps His end of the bargain. He's the God who is faithful to his promises. And how important was this aspect of God to Daniel as Daniel prayed? You see, this was most crucial, that is to say, the faithfulness, the covenant faithfulness of God, this was most crucial as far as Jeremiah's prophecy was concerned, as far as the fulfillment of that prophecy was concerned. So the question becomes, would the Lord honor his word after the 70 years had been completed, just as he said? And Daniel, as he goes before God, he sees the time is drawing near for the end of the captivity. He says, Lord, remember who you are. You are the covenant-keeping God. Will you be faithful to your promise? And he affirms, secondly, the deep part of verse 4, that he is the God who is gracious. He is the God who is gracious. <clears throat> for it describes God there as the God of steadfast love. This God is unfailing in his love, which means, among other things, he does not treat us as we deserve. Daniel recognized that. That's what gave Daniel the confidence as he approached God in prayer. He's the God who keeps covenant. He's faithful to his word, and he's the God who is most gracious, even in the face of the sins of his people. Daniel's prayer, notice, entailed confession, confession. Notice what he says in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. Well, what did Daniel confess as he prayed to God? As we'll see in verses 5 and following, this confession was first of all with respect to God's justice, the fact that God in sending judgment on the nation was doing what was absolutely right. Notice that Daniel did not argue with God in terms of his justice right throughout the passage. In fact, I didn't make a note of them, but even as I read them, I saw them. You can see Daniel keeps saying, Lord, you are right. We deserve it. Daniel did not argue how that the Babylonians were worse sinners. Do you notice that? He says, we have sinned. We have done Wickedly, we have done treacherously, appropriately confessed. We have sinned and done wrong. It's not the Babylonians' fault. No, even if they are worse sinners than us, here's the point. We are taking responsibility for our own sins. God, you are just. We deserve what we are getting. That's the spirit of true prayer before God Notice verses 11 and 12. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and so on and so forth. Daniel was saying here the calamity on his nation was not the work of the Babylonians. It was the direct judgment of God. 
And then note verses 13 and 14 where he again affirms the Lord's justice in punishing the nation for its sins. As it is written in the law of Moses, there again, you see he was a man of the word of God. He goes to the word of God. He finds in the word of God that God is just. Why? Because God gave ample warning, forewarning, that if you take this route, I'm going to act in judgment. He says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities, gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. What does it mean to confess sin? It means first and foremost to acknowledge that God is right and God is true and that his judgment upon our sins, we deserve them. Second, Daniel's confession concerned not only the justice of God, the fact that God was doing right in judging sin, but Daniel's confession concerned an acknowledgement of his own sin, sins as well as the sins of his people. One vital feature of prayer is confession of sins. Truth be told, every time we go before God in prayer, perhaps the first thing we should do is confess our sins. Even if we're not aware, consciously aware of sins. Here's the point. We have sinned because there's not only the sin of commission, there's a sin of omission. We sin not only knowingly, but we also sin unwittingly. Sin breaks fellowship with God. And confession is the means whereby our fellowship with God is restored. And being an admission of guilt, confession means this, that we come clean with God. It means we call a spade a spade. We do not cosmetize sin. We do not sanitize sin. We call sin for what it is. So notice in verses 5 and following how frank Daniel is as he names his sins before God. First of all, he says, we. Stop there. Daniel, we know, was a godly man. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, he's mentioned with Noah, where God, I think three times in the book of Ezekiel, he appeals to Noah. Who else? These three men, Noah, Daniel, and there's another but God drew upon these three men as illustrations of what it means to be godly. God was saying to Israel, even though these three men, Daniel, Noah, and Job, prayed, <laughs> I still would send judgment. That's how bad the nation was. Daniel, you go back to chapter 1, you see his godliness. He resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself. He was a man of prayer. Read the number of times. He's praying in the book of Daniel and yet Daniel says here, we have sinned. <clears throat> Chapter 6 shows how that in relation to those around him, his life was virtually unimpeachable. And yet here it was that in making confession to God, Daniel included himself. He did not single out himself in a Pharisaic fashion. He says, we have sinned. I and my people, we have sinned. We have done wrong, he says, and acted wickedly. 
So when he says we have sinned, he begins by the generic word for offending God, which is sin. And the word he uses there, chata, speaks of shortcomings that lead to judgment, to punishment. In the New Testament, we have the idea of coming short of God's standard. And that is sin. In the Hebrew here, the idea is that it speaks also of coming short of God's will. And it's interesting to know the various aspects of sin. As I said, he did not cosmetize sin. He didn't sanitize sin. Notice Daniel, he says we have done wrong. The A part of verse 5. The word there, wrong, ava, speaks of bending or twisting, and by implication, the term denotes moral crookedness. Daniel is saying, look, God, before you, we are twisted, we are corrupt, we are out of shape, we have done wrong. The word is found 231 times in the Old Testament. And then Daniel, notice he says, we have acted wickedly. We have acted wickedly. It's not many of God's people who will readily recognize that they have acted wickedly here and there. Because you see, the, the common conception is that wickedness consists only of what we would call vile crimes. But according to the word of God, wickedness, wickedness is essentially want any want of conformity to the will and character of God. God, in fact, suggests that his people, his people, his redeemed people can be wicked. Because he says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, will turn from what their wicked ways, I will do this and that. Psalm 139, the psalmist David, holy man of God, man after God's own heart. He says, search me, O God, know my heart, see if there be what any wicked way in me. From the biblical standpoint, to be wicked is to embody a way of life, a manner of life which is opposed, which is contrary to the will, character, and purpose of God. You see, we come to understand sin as wickedness only when we see sin in the light of God's holiness, in the light of who God is. That's why Joseph, you remember in Genesis 39, when he was being seduced or he was facing that temptation with Potiphar's wife. He placed him in that compromising situation. He did not say, how can I engage in this affair? He didn't say, it's wrong for me to be doing this to Potiphar. Remember what he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Fourthly, Daniel characterizes sin, his sins and the sins of his people as, verse 5d, turning aside from the commandments and rules. Turning aside to sin against God is to deviate or veer from his will, from what he has expressly stipulated in his word. To sin then is to be a moral and spiritual deviant in the eyes of God. That's what we can be, you know. Because whenever we veer from the path of righteousness, whenever we veer from the word of God, that is turning aside from God's commandments and it speaks of deviation. Today we use the word deviant. 
<laughs> in other ways. We talk about a deviant person. We're talking about a, a morally perverse person, immoral. But God says when we turn away from him, in fact, the Bible will use the word perversity to speak of our sins against God. And isn't, it, isn't this turning aside from God the essence of what Paul said in Romans chapter 3 verses 10 and 12 when he says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands or seeks for God. All have what? Turned aside. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Daniel would not sanitize sin. Notice how he describes sin in verse 6. Sin is neglecting to listen to God's word. Here's what he says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of Israel. What is sin? Sin is this, it is shutting our ears to what God has to say. The imagery is suggestive of defiance against God. I remember as little children, I don't know if you used to do this, as little children, you're playing and you're, you're angry with your playmate, what would you do? They're talking... That's what you would do. You would shut the ears. It's an act of defiance. God is saying here, neglecting to listen. And that's a crime against God. Defiance of his sovereign authority in our lives. And then sixthly, as Daniel confesses to God his sins and those of his people, he speaks of sin in verse 11, notice as transgression. Transgression. All Israel has transgressed your law, he says. What is transgression? The word carries the idea of moving outside or beyond the bounds of God's will. I was trying to figure if in, if in this country, I, I know when I was growing up, you know, if you're being rude or insolent, your parent would remind you, don't you pass your place. I suspect it's used here too, right? Not, don't pass your place. Don't be rude. Don't be insolent. Don't overstep your bounds. We hear the expression today, stay in your lane. <laughs> stay in your lane, man. And when we come out of our lane where God's word is concerned, what we are doing, we are transgressing. It's, it's an act of defense against God. That's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. They overstepped their bounds. God said, listen, don't touch that tree. But they thought otherwise. They transgressed. They stepped across divine boundary. But I know we have to cut this short, but fast forward to verse 9, and here's a wonderful part of Daniel's prayer. It is this, the glorious prospect, the glorious provision of God's forgiving mercy and grace. Here's what he says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him. He's saying, Lord, even in the face of our rebellion, we are counting on the fact that you're a merciful God. God, please forgive us. And you, will, you, would, you would know the verses. In fact, you can go over these verses, this chapter, where he says, it is not because of our righteousness. We're not coming to you expecting anything, but we are depending on your mercy. Listen, God's forgiving 
grace, God's forgiveness. First of all, it's not cheap. We know, of course, we are forgiven on the basis of Christ's shed blood. We are forgiven by God's grace. It is not how good we try to be. What is the precursor of forgiveness? It is coming clean with God in repentance, in honest confession of our sins before him. And here's a glorious promise of the word of God. 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, for, just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a mighty God. What a gracious God we serve. 